This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the newest episode of our podcast, HR in Review. I'm Monica Sharma, the editor of HR Review. And if you haven't tuned in before, in this short segment, we'll be looking back at some recent standout stories and we'll be discussing the most relevant topics linked to HR. Each week will be based around a different theme. And this week's is safeguarding employees and the employer's duty of care. Before we launch into this episode, I did want to give a quick trigger warning to our audience. This segment will contain continued references to sensitive issues such as sexual assault, harassment and domestic abuse. So now uh, I wanted to introduce my guest, Sarah Evans. Sarah is partner at Constantine Law. She is an employment lawyer with over 15 years of experience working with companies and employees and specialising in discrimination litigation. She is also a regular contributor to media coverage of HR and employment issues. Welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you doing today? Thanks, Monica, for having me. I'm very well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Let's get straight into the discussion. Sure. Um, So I wanted to start us off by discussing sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. As our audience is well aware, in light of the tragic death of Sarah Everard, which happened earlier this year, and earlier movements such as the Me Too campaign, there's been a massive outpouring of people, especially women, discussing their experiences with sexual assault and harassment. So relating this to a workplace context, CIPD research, which took place uh, last year in 2020, found that 4% of employees said that they had been sexually harassed at work over the past three years, and women were also three times more likely to report experiencing sexual harassment than men in the workplace. So Sarah, my first question to you is, what do employers need to know about their duty of care when it comes to protecting staff against sexual assault and harassment? And does this duty of care change when the behaviours occur outside of the workplace and isn't entirely an internal matter? The duty of care that employers uh, have comes under the uh, Equality Act mm-hmm. um, and in terms of general right, uh, general obligations to employees. So we have an obligation to provide a safe place to work and that mm-hmm. includes an environment free from sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. In terms of the individual rights and therefore the, uh, the consequent obligations on employers and HR professionals, uh, our duty is... Um, to take such reasonable steps as we can to prevent that happening in the workplace. Mm -hmm. What that means in practice is making sure that we have proper policies and procedures and which are enforced Mm -hmm. um, so that if somebody is experiencing sexual harassment, then they report it and something is done about it. Um, And if there is a known repeat perpetrator, for example, that that's not just ignored Mm -hmm. because there there is a statutory defence and it comes it it is born of this reasonable steps uh, provision, Mm -hmm. uh, which says if basically if you had no way of knowing that um, an individual was going to suffer sexual harassment at the hands of another employee, you have no liability Mm -hmm. as an employer. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had a lot of case law about this uh, over the years in terms of of what that duty is and isn't. Um, And it brings into question many cultural aspects uh, of the world of work. uh, And Mm -hmm. that's certainly been influenced by the hashtag Me Too campaign. Mm -hmm. And as you said Mm -hmm. before, the concentration 
again, and, and rightly on the safety of women in particular mm-hmm. uh, in all aspects of their life um, and the importance of HR in influencing that in the workplace. Mm. So essentially, HR have the kind of liability to do everything in their power, including preventing and correcting, um, do stop sexual assault and harassment from occurring at work, or they will be held legally responsible for the actions of their employees? Uh, Yes, as with any case of of discrimination where you've got two people employed by you or... or, um, uh, under your care, for want of a better term, mm-hmm. th- then there is this, it, it's the notion of vicarious liability. So anything done to your staff in work mm-hmm. is your fault. Right. Um, so, uh, and again, you know, there is this statutory defence, but it's not a, it's not necessarily an absolute defence. And it ties into, and, and HR professionals are really good at seeing the, the bigger picture. And we definitely mm-hmm. need that to be the case when dealing with these issues mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of, of reporting and making sure people feel that they can report and and men largely being made aware that that you know that it, it isn't going to be allowed and that's the main problem we have at the moment mm-hmm. is that it is being tolerated and HR is key in um determining that and I think maybe if HR professionals understand uh, that you know they they do have the power to mm-hmm. to change culture and we absolutely rely on them to do so and to drive mm-hmm. cultural change um then then that's really important but ultimately yes there, there is a liability issue for mm-hmm. employers who turn a blind eye turn mm-hmm. a blind eye rather I think I suppose that ties into kind of the next point that I wanted to make which was that the government have actually created a consultation to study sexual harassment in the workplace and obviously this has been an a kind of an ongoing consultation mm. um would it be possible for you to provide us a brief summary of this and what ramifications this may have for employers and safeguarding follow us on twitter at hr review or join us on linkedin and facebook uh, certainly so th- this came about in um it was at the end of 2018 mm-hmm. um when the Women and Equality Sector Committee and the Equalities and Human Rights uh, Commission um, made a report uh, and sort of canvassed the government, uh, having done their own research uh, about a possible statutory code on mm-hmm. dealing with harassment and particularly sexual harassment. And this was particularly important also at the time because we had a couple of years early seen the demise of the section 40 liability which is liability for third parties mm-hmm. so uh, this affected a lot of people for example in the ho- uh, hospitality sector where sexual harassment was taking place by custom by customers and, and clients and then mm-hmm. that reduced the liability so what the the two committees had a look at is evidence for introduction of that mandatory duty on employers to protect workers from harassment in the workplace mm-hmm. whether we needed to um, strengthen and clarify the laws in relation to third-party harassment dealt with particular um, issues affecting interns and whether we need to protect uh, extend protections for volunteers mm-hmm. um, and also interestingly certainly from my point of view is, is whether we need a longer time limit than the three months that people have to um, bring a claim in relation to sexual harassment, given the complexity mm-hmm. um, of the issue. So as a result of that, the government launched a, a commission, which, um, sorry, a um, 
yes, it was a commission, a consultation, I beg your pardon, um, mm-hmm. which closed at, at the end of October 2019. We haven't had the outcome of that for probably obvious reasons because we've all lost a year uh, mm-hmm. last year. Um, so we're still awaiting for the outcome. That the the introduction to the consultation, though by the government, I think is it recognises the the hashtag Me Too movement and the mm-hmm. that we have had a bit of an increase in reporting and that this is very much a live issue. But I do have some concerns about it in terms of it, it is on the premise that we think the we think that the um, statutory protection is strong enough already. So whether there will be any changes coming out of it, I'm not sure. I hope there will be because I think there is still work to do. Mm. Um, and I think the introduction of a statutory code, it helps. Sometimes we, you know, we, we do have to force change, but a statutory code would certainly potentially clarify um, in one place, like we did with the code of conduct, albeit that that's not statutory, um, on grievances and disciplinary procedures, it gives employers and HR professionals a code to work from mm-hmm. and it gives them clarity and a bit of clout so that mm-hmm. when we are trying to introduce cultural change in the workplace and support employees, and obviously it's not always women, we know that harassment mm-hmm. comes from the power imbalance, mm-hmm. but the offside of that is more men have power in the workplace over women than women do over men um but of course you know every anybody can be touched by this um so what a statutory code would enable i think certainly the hr professionals especially those who are forward thinking and willing to take on the challenge mm-hmm. it gives them a bit more a, a stronger teeth to be able mm-hmm. to introduce for example zero tolerance on harassment in the workplace it means that they can potentially launch education mm-hmm. um, of all staff including outside of work so right. um you know the, obviously the, the sarah the awful sarah everard case mm-hmm. and the the 10 or so since yeah. then were not related to work mm-hmm. um but there is often an overlap between work and outside of work and especially mm-hmm. you know over the last year where the boundaries have blurred that there's always been that issue of what happens if an assault takes place at a works do where mm-hmm. alcohol is involved mm-hmm. for example or on a, um out of hours when somebody is receiving abusive texts or something like that um so so we already have that mirrored in case law to an extent but i think it would be especially useful if we can have it in a statutory code that is accessible to all, including employees. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite interesting because, as you said, we don't know yet the outcome or whether anything will be reformed. But mm. if that does um, happen and um, it, it essentially extends a protection, um, mm. so it's not just for you know formal employees, it could in- involve volunteers, interns, and then, as you say, could also... Um, you know, work towards educating staff to prevent um, horrific crimes like sexual assault and harassment from occurring outside of work also. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I think we are reaching the point where, uh, and often it is the case, isn't it, where we, we have a, a tragic event or a, a high profile event where mm-hmm. we concentrate our minds a bit on this. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, with you know, in, in 15 years of experience, I'm still having some of the same conversations that I was have, having 
10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I do think there's much more of a move, though. Mm-hmm. I think it has the hashtag Me Too um, campaign, as it mm-hmm. were, has certainly highlighted it in, in the same way as, you know, we're about to get um, similar um, drive in terms of, of the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. matters um, uh, campaigns as well. And, you know, we're about to have um gender reporting sorry gender inequality sorry race inequality <laughs> um pay reporting mm-hmm. l- looked at as well so i think all of these things if if we can get them to dovetail and just concentrate on those areas that will improve the workplace and will improve mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. you know when it comes down to it mm-hmm. um it, it is important and hopefully this is the time where we can make headway with it mm-hmm. well contextualizing this a bit further obviously our lives have changed so much over the past year Um, most professions have moved online I think something that may have been missed by many is the impact that working from home has had on the level of sexual harassment at work and according to a survey conducted by the legal charity rights of women in late 2020 42 percent of respondents had recently experienced harassment from co-workers online and 70 percent of employees said that they they think their employers are not doing enough to protect them again does this kind of mean that hr need to protect employees more when working from home is that more um, difficult to protect against since it's all happening online if you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. I was really surprised by this, and I have to say, I have to say, it wasn't something that I had anticipated at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because I, I, I hadn't thought about it because it, mm-hmm. it, it is. So it, it came upon us quite quickly, I suppose, didn't it? This mm-hmm. this move to much more homeworking. Yeah. To, uh, to answer your question, I think what HR has to do is is deal with those safeguards in a different way, um, and that matches the different way of of, of working. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know where we've got isolation and isolating potential victims is often part of harassment, and mm-hmm. then when we've got that you know, a hundredfold where we are separated, there's no colleagues around. Um, and that we've seen particular reports about, well, I, I feel like that, you know, this person is now in my house because I'm in my house talking to him or her mm. where this abuse is taking place. So I think we've all been on a huge le- learning curve with mm-hmm. it. And I think HR, um, I mean, it, I'm sure it, it's taken many people by surprise in one mm. way um so yes i think hr have a, a different job to do the the principles are the same but how mm. we deal with it is obviously affected by the the you know how that harassment is taking place so we were get, we were starting to get used to um we had the whole upskirting thing mm. first of all and then social media and and cyber bullying and harassment mm-hmm. um takes it to a whole other le- other level because of the accessibility of it and then we add in zoom and teams calls and um uh, and the technologies that that go a- along with that and the isolation it it does change the landscape so i mm-hmm. think a- hr professionals 
are well placed to think strategically about okay what what extra safeguards do we need to put in place mm-hmm. um what education and mm-hmm. you know straight talking do we need to have about expected conduct and standards of conduct and you know we've certainly seen cases um and you know anecdotally as well conversations with um with other professionals saying well you know zoom calls have suddenly got a bit uh, a bit informal and mm-hmm. we're you know we're having conversations that we would never have in the office mm-hmm. because we're at home and we're in our pajamas or whatever the case yeah. may be <laughs> um so yeah i think um it is a matter of different elements of policing and monitoring in one way but mm-hmm. also education mm-hmm. Well, I think also tied into that, moving on to our second story, domestic abuse has kind of always been on the radar for HR. But obviously, again, over the last year since the national lockdown, the number of domestic abuse offences have soared, unfortunately. Um, During and after the first lockdown um, in the April, May and June months, roughly one fifth of all offences committed involved domestic abuse. So, Obviously, there's been a clear rise in these cases. And I was just wondering what HR is expected to do in this position because it is all external to the workplace. How far does their duty of care extend in this situation? It's a a terribly difficult area to deal with, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. it it isn't a work issue of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there is that line between home and work, albeit that that as we've just discussed, that has been blurred a mm. lot over mm. um, the, the last year with with lockdowns and working from home. So the, and I think it's important for HR professionals to understand that they don't have, you know, that they're not the police, they're not social workers, mm-hmm. they're not counsellors, and they're probably not trained mm-hmm. to, and, and nor should we expect them to be not trained to help with the practicalities and the emotional fallout and the the harm that victims of domestic abuse go through mm. so the the duty in terms of work is the same in relation to any other sort of environmental factor which is to provide that safe place to work but it right. doesn't go further than that mm-hmm. i think where where um the duty does arise because of the Im- is because of the impact of of somebody's personal life on their working life mm-hmm. um so looking out for being aware of and looking out for signs of somebody withdrawing somebody having odd absences here and there mm-hmm. um uh, somebody's performance suddenly dropping mm-hmm. um and, and there could be a multitude of reasons and uh, for that um but that they, they tend to be the 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 signals that something is awry and what certainly victims of of domestic abuse have been saying is that you know that work is their escape from it which Mm. is probably why we've Mm -hmm. seen the numbers increase as we have um but also the the, a big fear in not reporting it to the police or getting help that means that they can when the time is right Mm -hmm. escape from that situation is their fear of being absent from work and and being losing out financially or not being in a position to be able to risk losing out financially Mm -hmm. because they might need to go to a refuge Mm. for a week or two or Mm. they might need time to recover um 
and get some counselling. And that's a long term issue. That's, you know, that's not a five or 10 day fix, is it? Mm. But, you know, there have been some recommendations and, and some companies do have policies of, you know, five, 10 days paid leave mm-hmm. to for somebody to deal with the effects of of either escaping domestic abuse or dealing with it as the case may be and mm-hmm. hr is clearly fundamental in putting those policies in place and um creating that culture whereby somebody who in such dire straits can come to them and say this is what's going on mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that hr has to be involved in in helping mm-hmm. out so, you know extricate somebody yeah so um, there is that sense of distance because obviously yeah home life and work life are completely different but there's also some support especially in terms of perhaps financial support yes mm. yeah and that can be so important because you know as domestic abuse is you know as we've all read it, it's it's not just that it's not always violence um mm-hmm. it's it's often um financial Mm. Um, abuse and emotional abuse that goes goes along with it so um and people have a lot a right to, to privacy they it could be for some people terribly embarrassing for whatever reason mm. to to speak to people at work about it and they might mm-hmm. just not want to and they don't have to but um if we know that if people if um again generally women but not always have that cushion of not having to worry about pay even for a week mm-hmm. it might mean that they can get the extra help externally that they need mm. so Sarah I wanted to pose to you one final question mm. are there any recommendations um, moving forward that you would give to HR teams looking to revamp some of their workplace safety policies in light of you know the recent events that have happened Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. I I would say that now is possibly the best time we've had for a long time Mm -hmm. to to revamp um, our policies and to strengthen them. Mm-hmm. Nobody is going to speak out, I would think, against an HR team saying now is the time that we need to strengthen these anti-harassment and bullying policies. Mm-hmm. We need to bring in an education tool and we um, are going to do some innovative work that concentrates on, for example, why people harass rather than simply what do we do to protect the victims. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's a difficult one, of course mm-hmm. it is. But um, I, I think brave HR teams have an enormous amount of potential to be actively involved in changing the cultural imbalances that cause the issues that mm-hmm. we have. Um, so I would say now is the perfect time to revisit those policies, revisit the education of employees and crucially of managers in Mm. dealing with and putting those policies into place Mm. and we all know that it's one thing having policies and it's another thing to actually enforce them so um, revamping and relaunching now Mm -hmm. and to almost capitalize on on this this wave of attention Mm. um, I think will serve 
I think will serve HR teams really well in terms of the value that they can bring to the, to the workplace. Um, the law at the moment hasn't changed, so the mm-hmm. policies may not need to change, but mm-hmm. there is no reason why um, we couldn't an HR teams couldn't take or shouldn't take the opportunity to say this is something we're focusing on Mm -hmm. we really do mean it when we have a a zero tolerance uh, of this type of behavior Mm. and to put those reporting lines in place so that rather than as mainly is the case women leave rather than report Mm. what's going on that we retain that um that element of of the workforce um so yeah i would absolutely encourage hr to to take this by the scruff of the neck really um Mm. revisit those policies and make sure that they are shared and um, our staff are trained on them Mm -hmm. well thank you so much sarah for um joining me on the show today and kind of explaining the legal standpoints of many of these situations which are really complex and you know sensitive in nature to deal with. Um, as mentioned earlier, Sarah Evans works at Constantine Law and can be reached there. Thank you again, Sarah, for joining us. Thank you, Monica. Um, if you enjoyed this, we also do have webinars on Inside HR, which will delve into similar topics. Our next webinar is on Thursday the 17th, which is all about recruitment and how you can really fix that process and rebuild trust when it comes to hiring. We also have one the week after on the 24th of June, which is about redesigning the employee experience. As always, if you're interested in learning more about employment law or any other topic linked to HR, head over to our website, hrreview.co.uk. Thanks once again to you, Sarah Evans, for joining us and our audience for listening. We hope to see you again next time, where we'll be continuing the discussion on the most relevant HR topics. See you then. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.